the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. My special guest today is Dan Hammond. He's the uh, Everett Campus Pastor at Canyon Creek uh, Church. And uh, Dan, welcome to Heart of the City. Thanks, Chuck. Super happy to be here. Well, it's uh, you and I just had a chance to meet and talk about uh, what we're going to talk about. And I this this program really is primarily telling the story of how folks came to Christ, how they came to faith, and then out of that, how the Lord's called them into the various vocation, vocational work or ministry that they're doing. Right. And, and uh, I love to hear the stories because it always goes back and shows the faithfulness of God in our lives. And uh, so we want to hear your story today. So tell me about Dan B.C., Dan before Christ. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will do that. Well, I, I grew up in a Christian family. My father pastored um, a very large church in uh, the Northgate area for 40 years, so um, I'm a Seattleite. Um, and uh, growing up, um, I struggled with all the same things that everybody struggles with, which is you see the church and people in the church, and you see hypocrisy and religiosity and... I just ultimately wanted to have nothing to do with it. So when I moved out of the house, um, I got a scholarship to play basketball at Seattle Pacific University and uh, moved moved down to Queen Anne and um, just went crazy. Chuck just absolutely oh. lost my mind, uh, completely walked away from Jesus, just had, you know— um, when I was in high school, I was uh, nominally serving Jesus, but I don't—I never had an actual personal encounter with Christ. Um, I went to church all the time. We went like almost every day of the week. Right. It felt like, um, but no real personal encounter with Jesus. So, when I got into college, just started um, partying, smoking dope, drinking, hanging out. I met this woman. Um, who was sort of like the dark side of the force, uh-huh. and uh, we started a relationship in my sophomore year in college. We got married, um, and we had about 18 months of crazy, messed up stuff together. And uh, <clears throat> I was at Seattle Pacific University to play basketball, not to go to school, so that uh, that was a part of the process for me, and just had completely walked away from Jesus, everything that I'd grown up with, huh. and... Um, so right before my senior year in college, I had had some struggles with the coach uh, there at Seattle Pacific University, and uh, I was that kid who had all kinds of talent but no drive. I was just busy partying and hanging out and having fun. And uh, right before my senior year, um, he had said that he was going to take my scholarship, and I was like, oh, no, you're not. And he's like, oh, yes, I am. And uh, so we had a little interaction, and I ended up beating him up. 
Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, not something I talk about all the time, but it's out on radio now. There you go. Yeah. So. Well, that's a great way to deal with those kinds of issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a perfect response to that. <laughs> yeah. So. Because uh, that would really help you in, in keeping your scholarship. Oh, yeah. Beating the coach up. Tremendously, yes. <laughs> so, uh, they did a little investigation, and I was asked to leave school, uh, of course. And uh, I ended up... Um, uh, moving up to Broadway on Capitol Hill, and uh, about a week after that, uh, my wife, a friend of mine, had come to spend the summer with us, and he was a model in New York City, and we hung out together, kind of grew up together. And uh, about a week after that happened, uh, she and he ran off together. So at that moment, I was left with nothing, no basketball career, no wife, no nothing, and just the drugs and the alcohol and uh so I moved up to Capitol Hill. I was just a horrible mess. Um, she came back a couple weeks later to get her some clothes and other things, and I did everything I could to try and get her to stay. She had no interest in doing that. And um, I took her out to the airport to fly back to New York City, and I broke the windshield of our car with my face. And uh, in those days, you could walk all the way out to, um, to where people got on the plane, mm-hmm. uh, which you obviously can't do anymore. So I walked her out to the plane, and she went to get on the plane, and I literally, I'm a large man, about 6'7", about 300 pounds, so I literally, I threw myself across the gangway where people could not get on, and I had my hands around her ankles, I'm sobbing hysterically, begging for her not to get on the plane, and she literally stepped over me and got on the plane, and um, I was crushed. I, I literally was at that moment where I had nothing, literally nothing. I'd compromised everything I grew up with, and now I'm, I'm left alone. So I went home, uh, wrote a suicide note, um, left it for my parents, took my father's gun, and I thought, well, this is it. I'm going to end it right now in Richmond Beach. So I drove down to the beach, and I had this, um, this moment thinking, you know, um, I'm going to try one more time. And I'm going to fly back to New York City. I'm going to find her and see if she will come back. So I, hocked, I literally hawked her wedding ring. I bought a ticket. Nobody knew where I was. My parents had come down to, to my apartment. The manager had let them in, and I'd broken all the furniture in my apartment. And it was just a horrible mess. And I showed up at the place um, where she was. And thankfully, he was gone um, doing a shoot in, in another country. And... Um, I saw her and some friends of ours, and she grabbed me, pulled me in, and said, I got a phone call, and what are you doing, and why are you trying to wreck my life? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to wreck your life. So um, through a bunch of circumstances, uh, there was a bunch of friends of ours that were at this apartment, and I'm at the very lowest moment of my life, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm going to end it. I, I have nothing left. And they decided to go to a place called Studio 54, which was in the 80s. That was the spot to that, be. Wow. That's a major party spot it in was, New York In fact, they made a movie about it eventually. Right. Um, and he had this card to get in because you needed some kind of special something, something to get in at that point. And uh, so I was like, all right. And so they're like, we can't leave you alone, so you got to come with us. So they're all partying in Studio 54, and I'm just standing in there just trying to think of – how I can get to the Empire State Building to jump off, because that might be a big enough statement for me at that moment. Yeah. And um, I uh, was looking around, and I was just like, I can't take this. And I walked outside of Studio 54, and I'm sitting on the sidewalk in New York City, and it's one of those hot summer nights, and I felt like God spoke to me out loud. And he literally, he said this, 
Dan, how did you get here? And I felt like I had a video replay in my mind of the last three and a half years and all those decisions that I had made that had led me to the bottom of this hole I was in. And I remember just crying out to Jesus saying, if you're real, if you're real, I need you now or I'm finished. And I honestly, Chuck, I felt this overwhelming sense of the Holy Spirit just come on me. I started to cry. I'm laying on the sidewalk in the middle of the summer, sobbing like a baby. And I cried out to Jesus and I said, you got to come now. You got to come now. And I felt his presence just overwhelm me. And I got saved right there on the street. I literally, I got saved. I, I stood up. I walked back into Studio 54. I looked at her and I said, I'm finished. I just gave my life to Jesus, and I don't know what else to do, but I feel like he's for real and um, and that he could change your life and mine. But whatever happens with us, um, I am completely surrendered to Christ. So I don't know what's up, but um, I'm going home. And the next morning I got on a plane, flew home, and um, my father, had one of his pastor friends, had flown up in the middle of the night because they didn't know where I was or what was happening with me and to be with my dad. And uh, he said, hey, why don't you come live with us for a while in San Francisco? So I literally got home, got back on a plane, flew to San Francisco, and uh, lived with them for about six months, got my life back together. Jesus and I found each other again in a real and just crazy, amazing way. Moved back to Seattle. Um, she ended up divorcing me. Um, and about a, almost six months later, so just barely about eight to ten months after I give my life back to Christ, they made me the youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> of course. Because nepotism is an awesome thing, Chuck. <laughs> so they made me the youth pastor at Christ Church Northgate, and um, I was there for five years. Wow. Yeah. As you're telling your prodigal story, I can't imagine what your mom and dad were going through. Um, I, I have no, ultimately no idea of the hell that I put them through. Um, I remember my mom told me once she used to come down to SBU and do my laundry, which is, I'm not so sure how that all works out, yeah. but my mother is an awesome lady and mom, I'm shouting out to you right now, if you can hear this. Um, and I remember she came down, um, one time we had a little house right across from the gym and she said she drove by the house and she saw me sitting outside smoking. And she said, I was so hurt. I just couldn't even stop to get your laundry. I just had to go back home. Mm. And um, to to have a, a son who is completely lost, and not just lost, but just wrecking his life in front of you, and you can do nothing about it. Mm -hmm. um, I know how hard that must have been for Yeah, them. yeah. But I have a feeling that Mama was praying. Oh, my god. And Dad bro. was praying. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. They, um, they're very intense prayer warriors. Um, my father actually thought about resigning his church. Um, and he had a couple thousand people, big church, um, all white church in North Seattle. And um, he said, I really struggled with whether I completely failed Jesus or not with all that you were going through. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, Jesus had his way with all of us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're listening to Dan Hammond. He's uh, <clears throat> the Everett Campus Pastor at uh, Canyon Creek Church in Everett. So what happens next? You become a youth pastor, and you really say—I mean, you've got the the background. I mean, you, you knew the Bible probably right. inside and out, but right. you hadn't really surrendered your life to the Lord. So right. there was a, a foundation there 
of understanding of a knowledge base, but mm-hmm. really in a, a real relationship with Jesus was was relatively fresh for you. Completely new for me. Um, suddenly it was all real, um, not just words or somebody else's experience or some dry theology that may or may not relate to my life. Um, but now I had this relationship with Christ that was life-changing, absolutely life-changing. So they hired me, and uh, we had a large youth group, maybe 150 kids um, in the high school group and a couple hundred kids in our college group, so I was a youth and college pastor. And I met this amazing woman, uh, Kelly Hammond, who we have now been married a little over 32 years, and we got married. And um, we did that for about six years, and Chuck, I— I loved it, but I got frustrated. Just, I realized about four years into the process that I didn't even know any non-Christian people anymore because mm-hmm. uh, I work at the church now. Mm-hmm. And um, I just didn't know if I could build another one of the world's biggest banana splits. <laughs> um, right. And I got these very affluent white kids who um, come to my office and fuss with me about not getting a brand new car when they turn 16. And I was just like, I, there's got to be more. There, there has to be more. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think one of the things that sort of pushed Kelly and I out into a new space was um, I decided I needed to find a place to volunteer where there might be some unsaved people that I could actually talk to about Jesus, yeah. uh, which would be a novel concept. But <laughs> <laughs> So um, I found a group down on Capitol Hill called Chicken Soup Brigade, and this is the 80s, um, and it was an outreach uh, to people who were dying of AIDS. Mm. Um, and at that time, everybody died. It was a death sentence. When you mm-hmm. got AIDS, you died. And so um, this organization was run by all gay and lesbian men and women. And so I thought, well, I'll volunteer there. I'll get some clients, and we'll just see what God will do. So I went down to volunteer, and the lady looked at me, and she said, um, um, sorry, but no. And I'm like, well, what do you mean, no? And she said, well, you're the enemy. And I'm like, well, I'm the enemy? She says, not only are you a Christian, but you're a pastor. That's like double whammy no. And um, I had a long conversation with her, and she finally agreed to let me volunteer at the office once a week. So I volunteered at the office once a week, and um, I was there for about six months and they, before they would give me clients to serve because um, they just literally did not trust me that my intentions were right. And um, <clears throat> I'd been there about six months, and I was there on a Thursday afternoon, and everybody kind of gathered around me, and they were saying to me, uh, kind of looking at me like, and I knew, because they'd been pushing my buttons for six months. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, we got the pastor here. Let's just see what we can do to him. <laughs> and I'm, uh, uh, I'm sitting there, and she comes to me, and she says, hey, we're, um, I need you, we've got to move our offices, and we need some help moving this furniture. Could you help us? And I'm like, Sure. And she says, and oh, by the way, um, all our furniture is being stored at this gay bathhouse on Capitol Hill. And I'm like, because that's where the office was. And I'm like, sure. And she says, and also there's this dance happening there tonight called Steam 2. So we'll be there during the dance. You could be okay with that. And I was like, sure. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) And so we went and – Yes, I saw some stuff that I've never seen before, and I was a little overwhelmed, but we got the stuff moved, and she came to me, and she said, um, after we were done, she pulls me aside, and she says, I'm going to give you some clients. And I said, 
okay? And she said, um, I, this Jesus that you have is different than the others I've seen. And I feel the love that you have for us. So um, if you would take a minute, I would love for you to tell me about this Jesus that mm. you know. And I had a chance to share the gospel with her in every way, shape, and form. They gave me some clients um, to serve. And really, Chuck, I had this life-changing moment in that place. Um, and one of the clients that I had been serving for about six months um, who was very sick and getting ready to die of AIDS, and I'd been praying and fasting, just believing I could share the gospel with him in some way, that there would be an opening. So I go to his house. I've been fasting and praying that week, and I'm going to share Jesus with him, and I'm going to lead him to Jesus. And I open the door, and he's sitting on the couch holding hands with his boyfriend. And I'd never met this guy before, and now suddenly I'm in a very uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. And I was very disappointed thinking that, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this is not going to happen. And uh, so I went in and just walked past them and said, hey, and went to do the stuff that I'm supposed to do. So I'm um, cleaning his dishes, and I go into his bedroom, and one of the things that I did was change the sheets on his bed and make sure his room's clean. And so I pull back the covers, and it's covered with all this sexual activity from the night before. Mm. And I'm this white kid from Kenmore, man. I don't know what's up with all this stuff. And suddenly Jesus has put me in all these weird, awkward situations, and I'm looking down at the bed, and this is a true story. I literally went to my knees and I started to cry. And I'm like, I can't do this. Wow. I, 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 Jesus, this is so far out of my box. I just can't do this. I can't believe you're asking me to do this. And I'm crying and I'm looking at the bed and I'm thinking about how I'm going to get out of the house without them knowing and offending them. And, and it was the second time I felt like God spoke to me. And he said this, you're the only hands I have for him. Mm. Sorry. That's all right. That was a that was a powerful word to you. Life changing. So I um cleaned up the mess um and got ready to go. Um and I'm walking out in the front room, and he says, hey, Dan, sit down for a minute. He said, I've been telling my boyfriend about you. I've been telling him about that you're a pastor and about this Jesus thing that I know you represent. And we'd like you to tell us about Jesus um, because we know you love us. And so I had a chance to sit down and share the gospel with him. And I remember walking out that door thinking, that's it. I'm supposed to be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ to people who don't know him and won't meet him if I don't show up for them. Hmm. And um, it was one of those epiphanies that changes your life forever. And I went home to Kelly and said, we got to move. I got to quit. Um, we got to move to the inner city. And we got to find a way to give ourselves to people who nobody else cares about, who nobody else is interested in ministering to. And maybe we could be Jesus for some people who have no representation of Christ. And our plan was to move to um, the inner city here in Seattle. And um, so we, I told my dad and I told his friends and all of our friends and everybody freaked. They were like, what? Hmm. 
you, you know, we've got these small children, and we're going to move to the hood, and it's like, that can't be. That's not Jesus, you know. Why don't you just still live here? We lived in Kirkland at the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So you live here in Kirkland. You could drive down there, do whatever you feel you need to do, and then you could come home. Um, and I just felt like I got to do something more. I got to show up. I, I actually have to show up, physically show up. So um, uh, my father um, had said to me at the time, I would like for you to take over our church um, and not move. And I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we've got, you know, eight and a half million dollars worth of buildings that are paid for, a couple million dollars in tithes and offerings, all kinds of affluent white people. Um, this totally makes sense. Um, and yet somehow I knew in my own heart that I had to do something else. So I said no. Um, and, uh, he arranged a bunch of meetings with his friends to sort of talk me out of the hood. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And one of his very last friends, um, was a guy named Dick Iverson, who's just recently passed away. And he pastored a big church in Portland called Bible Temple. It's now City Bible Church. And, um... Dick came and said, I would love for you to move to Portland, take some classes at Portland Bible College. He said, I know one of your best friends is Wendell Smith. Mm. And Wendell Smith, who started City Church, um, was the youth and college pastor at the time um, at Bible Temple. And he and I had become become friends. He said, you come hang out with Wendell, come take some Bible school classes, and just make sure that this is the call of God for your life. So we sold our house. We moved to Portland, and um, we were there for... I don't know, a little less than one quarter. And I had met a guy, an African-American guy, who um, played basketball at Oregon State with Gary Payton. And A.C. Green had actually led him to Jesus. And um, radical guy named Eric Knox. And he and I met, and we decided um, to move to the inner city in Portland. And we chose to make that decision. So I quit school. He and I gathered up my family, and we moved to the inner city in Portland and started Urban Progress. Wow. Well, you know what? Uh, we were going to do one show, but we got to do two, if that's okay. all right with you, because <laughs> sure. we've got about two minutes left. All right. And so we're going to do a part two next week with this. But to kind of wrap up this segment, I would just love for you to share for maybe you know 90 seconds, two minutes, just what your what your life theme is what 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 is out of out of all of this craziness what would you say the lord has made your the theme for your life i um <clears throat> that's a good question chuck and i don't know 100% how to answer that question but i could say this um i've had this radical encounter with god um and here's what i realized he actually loves me and I don't have to earn it. I don't have to deserve it. I don't have to be worthy of it. Um, I don't have to perform. He just loves me. And that his call on my life is to receive his love, to let his love come in and change everything in me. Because his love has the power to change everything, every addiction, every brokenness, every depression, everything that is wrong in me, his love has the power to change. And then I have this call, this capacity to share his love with others and to be his tangible love in a broken and hopeless world. And if I will surrender to his love and let it come in and overwhelm me and change me and fill me, 
then I have the capacity to then in turn share that love. And that love breaks bondages, breaks addictions, breaks hopelessness. And the call of my life has been to be Jesus for others and to share that love that I have received, that life-changing love with others. When that happens, everything changes. Amen. Amen. Well, well, we're going to pick up part two here uh, next week. And you can always listen to the podcast uh, available. Just go to thewordseattle.com and click on local programs, and you'll see Heart of the City there. So you can hear uh, part one of this and also part two when it comes out. But uh, <clears throat> Dan Hammond, I want to thank you for joining me today. If, if people want to check out more about uh, Canyon Creek uh, Church, they can go to canyoncreekonline.com. And uh, you've got services every Sunday, and I'm sure you'll be glad to say hi to the folks as they come and see you. Love to. Thanks, Chuck. You've been listening to this 820 AM, the word special heart of the city. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, the word, call Chuck Olmstead, 206-269-6216, or go to thewordseattle.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.